You are listening to the Mount Rushmore podcast, the special Halloween episode. It is splendid to have you here. I would like to introduce the ghoulish Michael Winfield. Howdy. And the macabre Richard Manfredi. <laughs> Guys, it's our, it's our special yeah. Halloween issue episode, which we are recording adjacent to a cemetery. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> a spooktacular cemetery, as is every other episode of Mount Rushmore podcast, uh, because we are very close uh, within creeping distance of the Pierce Brothers Valhalla Cemetery. I could throw a rock outside. No, well, I You've seen me throw Richard. I cannot throw it. But uh, someone could throw a rock uh, from where I'm sitting through the garage door right over the fence into the cemetery. Yes. You throw like a ghoul. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. And you'd hit something. Oh, I got to write that Something down. creepy. Uh, but this is the Mount Rushmore Halloween uh, spectacular episode where we are discussing the Mount Rushmore of death. Death. Okay. Non-personal. Not personal. This is, I, uh, you know, whenever we have a Halloween episode or a Christmas episode, I try to, you know, kind of key in, zoom in on something. You know, we did comedic Draculas yeah. uh, last year, and we yeah. did, I can't remember what we did for our first Halloween one, regardless. Uh, yeah, so, the candy, no, it wasn't, no, that wasn't. Yeah, who knows? I, I could pull it up, but I'm not going to. Good. Um, I'll do it by the end of the episode. Uh, and death is one of these things that, yeah. you know, is ever present in our lives. And yeah. we, we know about it as humans. We know that death will come for all of us. Oh yeah. Um, and everyone has known that death will come for them as long as uh, kind of man has walked on two yeah. legs and had a concept of their own mortality. But sometimes death is very funny as it's portrayed. Sometimes right. um, there are just haunting images of death that has existed throughout history. Uh, yeah. You know, the Grim Reaper and the Angel of Death and with the scythe and all of that. And um, I find just the image of death very interesting because he is us just stripped away to nothingness mm -hmm. or she or whatever it is. Yeah. A pronounless creature. Yes. Um, but then I thought, well, what if it's not just, you know, images of death? What if it's just death in general? What does Richard think would be on the Mount Rushmore of death? What does Jeff think? What, is, what mm -hmm. is this kind of constant thing in our lives that could be tragic, could be funny, could be whatever? Most yeah. of mine are kind of funny or scary and pop culture-y as kind of our show is. Mm -hmm. I don't think I have a whole lot of tragedy in my choices, even though I probably should <laughs> come to think of it and maybe rewrite, rewrite, rewrite uh. as we go along. But um, I don't know. I think death is a very interesting topic. Um, and I think death as a character is an interesting character. I, I like the idea that man has decided to personify. Personify. Like mm -hmm. it can't just be this ubiquitous blackness. It is yeah. eh, some guy that you can walk into in a Kmart <laughs> and buy a picture of or buy a costume of or yeah. whatever. Or it's, or it's on a greeting card for when you turn 50. Mm -hmm. And it's like, happy birthday, you're dying. <laughs> and everyone's like, I guess so. <laughs> Uh, you're not, you're not, not right. Yeah. Okay, uh, Michael chose it. Richard starts. All right, so my first choice is the 1978 film Heaven Can Wait. Oh, right. Uh, not the original version or the one which I've never seen. Yeah. So I will not be talking about that. Okay. Even though on this show, not having seen something is certainly not a prerequisite no. for talking, <laughs> talking or not about talking it. about God it. damn sure. But. Naked women, what do you think? I don't know. I don't know. I uh, hear they're great. <laughs> um. Yeah, this was a movie I do re do remember watching quite a bit on my local independent television station where it would come on. It was a favorite of my mom's. Um, great film. Yeah. But Warren Beatty plays uh, Joe Pendleton, quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams, who is pulled out of his body by his uh, guardian angel, played by Buck Henry, um, prematurely. Uh, he thinks he's about ready to get hit by a, uh, a truck, so he pulls him out. Uh, the problem is it's not his time to die yet, but they can't put him back in his body because his body is now broken and mangled. Yeah. So they wind up putting him into the body of a uh, rich industrialist who had just been murdered by his uh, his wife and his uh, her and her lover, mm -hmm. 
who then so then they're a little surprised to find out after he's been shot that he just kind of pops out of the bathtub and comes yeah. back to life. Um, he winds up buying the Los Angeles Rams so that he can play quarterback for them. Um, and has to. <laughs> that is a that is a ballsy move. You got a lot of money when you can do that just so you can play quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's the whole whole complications with that. He winds up having to go into a separate body. He winds up changing bodies like three times. Um, I loved this movie growing up. It's a great Warren Beatty flick. Yeah, he's Warren Beatty in his heart height of his seventies kind of charmingness. Mm-hmm. Um, Julie Christie's fantastic in it. Buck Henry. He's got Buck Henry in it. Go yeah. See it. Um, and I chose this because there's a lot of. I think the idea of the pearly gates and St. Peter and all of that is very, very ubiquitous within pop culture. Hmm. This idea that when we die, you know, there's a judgment day that comes. There's sure, this yeah. reckoning that's going to happen and whatever happens to you happens to you. I like this movie because it kind of says like, well, maybe this is kind of a bureaucracy and maybe people screw up. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's Buck Henry that screws up and pulls him out. And like, how do you fix this problem? And it just causes more and more complications. Yeah. I love, I love um, bureaucracy in heaven. Like the, um, the Albert Brooks. Yeah. One? Yeah. Oh, which, uh, defending my defending life. Defending your life. life. Yeah. Where that's another, thank you. Yeah. Uh, where that's uh, another film where it's just like, you go to heaven and you're just like, like a small claims court. You have to, <laughs> yeah, to just kind of yourself. You, yeah. You're, you're stuck there in that limbo or whatever yeah. it is. And yeah. the, the multiple layers of institutions, uh, uh, the deceased Albert Brooks ends up in kind of like the, the Scottsdale, Arizona of, yeah. Uh, of of heavens where Meryl Streep is kind of adjacent in the Beverly Hills of heaven. Uh, yeah. But I um, mean, heaven can wait. I just, I like the, that idea too of like, well, we screwed up and you're going back. Yeah. Well, we can't put you back where you were. So yeah. we're going to try to. God we, is all powerful, but. The problem. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's, that's part of it is I love the idea that in theory, God can fix everything, but obviously he can't. Um, so or, they or kind of won't. Sure. Or probably won't. That mm-hmm. seems more likely. Yeah. Yeah, it does seem like there is a layered, leveled bureaucracy within uh, heaven, and it is an institution that has uh, the all-powerful and all-knowing at the top, but then levels of ineptitude that are beneath it, and Buck right. Henry is kind of represented by that. Uh, and I think Beatty, as a big oaf, is somebody that he has played a few times, like in Ishtar. Uh, right. But a lot of times he plays these characters have, or like even in, uh, uh, I would say, Bonnie and Clyde. But he has some, a lot of things like in Reds or uh, uh, Bullworth. He's got a little bit of more education and intellectual prowess than the people around him. And yeah. So it's he leads really with his heart in that film. Yeah, kind of like Shampoo. Yeah. In yeah. the same way. I think it's, it's that the characters are not similar, but I think the mm-hmm. type of persona that he's projecting is very similar yeah that's a lot of fun or, or is it uh groden and diane cannon are the people or the the couple that are fooling around his i think groden is his wife or something yeah like yes yeah. yeah it's uh it's diane cannon and charles groden yeah yeah that's uh, i love that in that uh so who's death in this one there is not there there's not a person it's not a personification of it's just this idea of what happens when you die and you're not supposed to die yeah yeah i mean everyone you get this idea that probably there are a lot of ar- in this world there mm-hmm. would be a lot of people going up to the pearly gates and arguing that it's not their time. Yeah. What happens if this is the one time when whoops he's actually right? Yeah. Yeah. And it suddenly turns into like a big trying to return something at Target. Yeah. Support you're trying to return this, <laughs> your body. What I love about this is you know there's films that are about death are obviously for the living and giving people this. this statement of optimism for um the healing and recovery that you need to do to encounter that and in the end doesn't he have a message to to julie christie yeah it's basically the message is because he kind of has this sense that he may not be in uh leo farnsworth's body for 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 very long yeah so he says something to the effect of you know look you know, when you see other strangers, look for something of, of me in them or look yeah. for something of other people in them. Yeah. And that's a wonderful optimism for those people dealing with loss that, you know, you can find your soulmate perhaps or at least some, somebody else. You can move on from right, from, exactly. from loss. So that's, that's a, a commonality perhaps to all these things. Like these characters are really to kind of, uh, help us deal with living after this moment um, of, of tragedy. Upbeat. 
All right, uh, Winfield. Well, I'm going to start off silly, too, and I don't really have a representation of death in my first one either. And it is from the movie Hot Shots Part Due. <laughs> oh, wow. Nice. Uh, there was a moment when Charlie Sheen, who is playing Topper Harley, is decked out in, like, his full Rambo regalia in, like, the Thai jungle. Yeah. He's got, like, a chain machine gun that's just, like, loading bullets. Yeah. And uh, he just starts mowing down this village of, you know, insurgents or, you uh-huh. know, general bad guys. And on the screen pops up, like, this video game thing that says, like, the kill count. <laughs> and it starts just rolling. Like, he's yeah. just mowing people down, shooting people down. Hundreds, thousands of bullets at about 140. It says equal to RoboCop. <laughs> at about 160, 165, equal to total recall. And then it, right around 300 says bloodiest movie ever. <laughs> a few seconds later, he runs out of bullets. His machine gun turns around, grabs a handful of like shell casings and mm-hmm. throws them at people. And they all topple over and die. <laughs> and I love this ridiculous, you know, death and killing in movies mm-hmm. is, you know, especially in the 90s, was so gratuitous. And I don't know how many politicians would harangue and wring their hands over, oh, there's so much gratuitous violence in movies and it's ruining America. Yeah. And this is evil and Hollywood's the reason why there's so much sin and degradation. And this movie just goes all in on making fun of, one, these action movies, but just the concept of all these people just dying and mm-hmm. bodies on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And when I was thinking of this topic, I was thinking of what is the most, what is the most like people have ever seen killed in a movie in this way. And then it was this silly comedy action flick from yeah. the nineties. And uh, this movie is, it could have been on our good dumb movies oh, sure. list. And I'm kind of kicking myself from what last week or two weeks ago that we d- didn't have it three weeks ago. And it was just like, oh, this is just one of those really good, dumb Zucker brothers. Is it better than Hot Shots? Part two? Yes. Yes. That's a, I think it's one of the rare sequels. Yeah. It's actually better than the original. They, I think it's because of a scene like this where they really leaned into it. Where they really... Right. They were all, it was always silly, but there was like a really great gratuitous sex scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a lightsaber fighting with a Saddam Hussein sort of... Character, right? This was like in the, just right in the like Bart Simpson going after Saddam. Everybody could just take on Saddam, yeah. Um, and you know, Topper Harley mm-hmm. did as well. I think I after Littleton, Colorado, there was mm-hmm. uh, questioning the appropriateness of any kind of depiction of guns and that kind of mass. Carnage on yeah. the screen. Well, and, thank God we're past that. Yeah, thank God we're past that. Uh, and you know, there's they just start they lean into like the video game of itness and the like shooting gallery. There's guys who just start walking along with like targets yeah. on their chests and yeah. their butts and whatever. And it's just it's it's a silly depiction of like these sort of, like you know everyone just kind of falls over and dies. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't see like faces blown off or yeah. arms, you know, it's not like quite like Rambo where it's just bloody and gory. It's just like, yeah. So obviously silly. Well, that, do you remember the scene where <laughs> Rambo satire goes past uh, apocalypse now satire where Martin Sheen and Charlie Sheen pass each other? Yeah. You were they're like, <laughs> you were great. in. I love doing wall street. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think, is it, they have, um, uh, Martin Sheen doing his uh, uh, inner vo- voiceover monologue from <laughs> from Apocalypse Now, which is funny because I don't think of Apocalypse Now was seen as a political um, indictment of the Vietnam War, um, and it wasn't played for laughs, but it was kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, there were characters like Colonel Kong or uh, uh, what's his head's character Charlie Don't Surf. You know, uh, there was so much that was really funny and over the top about Apocalypse Now, but uh, it certainly wasn't played as much for laughs as um, Hot Shots Part <laughs> Dude. This is Part also Jeff. right in the, the pinnacle of uh, sequels having to come yeah. up with a clever sequel name. Oh, the sequel, yeah. yeah. Hot Shots Part 2, Naked Gun, two and a half. Yeah. You know, they, 33 and a third mm-hmm. with the, for the third one. Yeah. Yeah. I love they that went moment too, they where went too far. The Zucker Abram Zucker thing. Well, even our name has to be hilarious. <laughs> they won't know it's a comedy. Uh, Manfred. 
All right, so my second choice is um, everyone's favorite rock song. Parentheses, Don't Fear. Uh-huh. The Reaper. Uh, by Blue Oyster Cult. Um, I think everyone knows it as the Cowbell song from yeah. SNL. Yeah. Um, from the 1976 album Agents of Fortune. Um, and it was written by the lead guitarist as kind of a... I think was, he, he wrote it as this sort of idea of love being eternal. Yeah. And so what's the way that you sort of can express this is talking about don't worry about death. If yeah. you love somebody, you'll be with them even after death. Yeah. Um, Boy, Richard really is optimistic today. This is lovely. Isn't it? You, you know, you got me right in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Death. <laughs> um, it was a big hit for the band. This is one of those songs where it's really interesting to me because I think people have their own interpretations of it versus yeah. what the lead singer. I mean, I think people get a lot it's of people. Get, it's about yeah. suicide or it's about murder suicide because the Romeo and Juliet yeah. reference that keeps getting played back in. But really, it's supposed to be a little bit more, like Michael said, maybe not optimistic, but at least trying to take like a a different view of death. That yeah. It's not something you should be afraid of. It's going to happen to everybody. Yeah. yeah. Do do you recall hearing that song at a as at, at an impressionable age, or did you come to it later? Oh, I'm sure it was probably on like the classic rock station, yeah. which is one of the stations I listened to, and I'm sure I didn't really understand okay any of the nuances of it. It just kind of sounded, being as a kid, I'm I'm sure it probably just sounded sort of somewhat morbid and therefore kind of yeah. cool. Wasn't there a wind, spooky wind in it? Yeah, or there's like, like that? there's wind, there's chimes, yeah. yeah, there's like little stuff going on in the background. Yeah. It's certainly it's in a minor key, and so. it does have statistics. <laughs> How, what is the statistic? Like forty thousand men and women every day? Or yeah, and they get it completely off. Yeah. It's like actually like one hundred and twenty thousand or something like and that. And is that but death I, or suicide? Death. Oh, okay, okay. But you know, yeah, we really can't blame the lead, the guitarist of Blue Oyster Cult yeah. for not having the CDC the statistics. Yeah. At hand. When album oriented rock is who you're counting on to solve the ills of the world, then you're. We're in trouble. Your society is <laughs> in a shambles. I, as a young person, I had that ex- song in the back of a, you know, a Camaro blasting and told to me to represent, don't fear the reefer, because <laughs> that's what it's really about. And if you your dad gets mad at you, about not, yeah. your, not your dad, but <laughs> yeah, I know, not a theoretical dad, dad yeah. would get mad at you. My dad was, hey, buy it. me some reefer uh, while you're there at uh, school today. It's a really interesting song, too, because it's kind of got this dark subject matter yeah the song's kind of dark but like the the vocals themselves are not dark it's very yeah. almost kind of soft sort of yeah. vocal that kind of multi-tracked uh, yeah. harmonies and yeah like that. It's, so it's kind of it's different mm-hmm. cool uh blue easter cult was that one of those bands that was kind of made up by rock critics i remember no is that deep purple there was one of those bands in deep purple. deep purple that was like basically all the rock nerds got together and, <laughs> and made a band so uh okay uh winfield uh the scariest version of death that I remember ever seeing on screen was in the 1988 movie, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Oh, wow. I've not seen that. That's uh, Gilliam, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. And uh, the Angel of Death, the Grim Reaper, as you just mentioned in the last pick, uh, is this winged, you know, scythe-carrying, yeah. skull-faced mm-hmm. creature that stalks... Um, Baron Munchausen throughout the movie and um, his character is one that is always kind of cheating death yeah. his character is a bit of a trickster he's a liar he's kind of like this mm, storyteller kind of Loki puck mm-hmm. sort of mischievous guy who everything seems to go right for him he talks his way out of every situation and he even manages to kind of get around death and like the four times that he that death comes from in the movie, you know, at the beginning, like the, yeah. the theater's being kind of shelled by cannon fire and this winged creature comes for him and he's like fucking frightening. He looks like, mm-hmm. he looks like the version, he looks like the very classic version of death that everyone has existed since, yeah, you know, 2000 years ago or 4,000 years ago since Greek times. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just, you know, Terry Gilliam at his most macabre. Right. And this creature has these huge wings and he's flying, he's just flying for him. And uh, he's just so scary, but somehow he gets out of it every time. Uh-huh. Either he's like chased away or he's, 
of course, uh, he catches, he holds on to a cannonball, uh, oh, Baron Munchausen, yeah. and he's flying through the sky, and death is coming for him, too, and death gets blasted out of the air. But, of course, yeah. death is as relentless as anything. But um, I just like the idea or the commonality of cheating death. Yeah. Of, like that death is a person that you can get away from. You can escape from somehow. Mm-hmm. And uh, Richard kind of mentioned it also in like heaven can wait where like, uh, you know, he kind of gets, he kind of leaves death behind and comes back a few times. And I think Baron Munchausen and especially does that mm-hmm. over and over in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like, Gilliam's career has been almost like followed by this scythe wielding, <laughs> you know, figure because so, he's had so many uh, challenges. I think of like the the um, uh, Don Quixote. Sure. Thing. Oh yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, talk about a a guy who is. I mean, he is like a force of will. Yeah. Gilliam. He just kind of wills these movies into happening, even though I he's like one of those guys that feels like he's never really made. Uh-huh. Ascent on any of his pictures. Yeah, he's been given, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars mm-hmm. in budget over and over, and tens of millions. And I don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I bet if you looked at like the budget versus the box office, I bet movies very, of his that probably made money. Yeah, Fisher King, uh, Twelve Monkeys. Twelve Monkeys. Maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe brother, Time Bandits? Maybe Brothers... Yeah, yeah something like that was such a, such a small, low budget. Yeah. yeah. And Connery, brothers yeah. Grimm, maybe, is one of those that, like... Mm-hmm. Maybe it was, like, just had low enough... Maybe it was, like, a $30 million movie and made $31 million. Right. Like... But it's I with fear and loathing, it's, yeah. it's amazing that he that he, ha- he has cheated his own directorial death where other people aren't given mm-hmm. the chance. Like, if sometimes if you make a flop... That's it. You're done. No one's going to give you money. But somehow he has so much like just built in like I don't know if just the Goodwill, Python. Goodwill, yeah. Goodwill, Monty Python. Just like he's such a weirdo that he's just going to do his own thing and you know and you know what kind of movie he's going to make. Right. So you're you're betting on what you know. Even when it's a flop, it's an interesting mm-hmm. flop, which is at least I think why some people are willing to give him chance after chance. It's me. Old Tippecanoe. That's right, your buddy, William Henry Harrison. I thought I'd come by and see how this cast pod thing works out. Not so well so far, actually. Happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me to your death episode. Ha, 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 I get it. I was the shortest living president of history ever. So funny, I get it. That's why you asked me to come here. Well, also, I want to always want to ask you a question. Okay, ask away. I hope I can survive long enough to answer it and be, before I die again. Looking back on this, would you have worn a coat? <laughs> that would have been better than to just brave the chill to try to show off my manhood and masculinity on my inauguration. Uh, yes, that would have been a good idea. So that's a, let that be a warning to all of you little kids out there. When mom and dad say wear a coat. That's right. Do it or else you might wind up dead like when William Henry. Has. That's right. Okay. Are we recording? Are the wheels? Are we on wax? Okay. Yes. This will uh, be a PSA. <laughs> Hello. I'm President William Henry Harrison. Young people out there. In inclement weather, your body loses its heat fast. So I want to suggest... Oh, oh, oh man, sir! Hey guys, Can ghosts up? die? Uh, this is this is awkward, guys. Uh, why is it cold in this one Jeff, spot? We have we have a dead ghost body, which, I, as Michael said, I don't even know is possible. Dead we, ghost. What do we do? With what? Is, <laughs> like we gotta call. That's this is this is just the this is synopsis for like the next Ghostbusters yeah. movie. <laughs> it's it's like what do you have? We have a ghost. What happened to it? It died. It died. Oh no. <laughs> Okay, who's next? I, lost, I was out of the room, so I don't know what even uh, happened. We're at halftime. Yeah, okay, we're at halftime. Okay. Uh, this is our halftime, and we want to implore you, invite you, uh, enthuse you to download, rate, and review past episodes. You can go to iTunes, of course, then you can go to iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Boggle. Sorry, Life. 
Yahtzee. Trouble. All these. What's that? Trouble. Trouble. <laughs> uh, any board game that they sell in the boring stack over at Target, uh, you can go uh, download and listen to our <laughs> podcast. Too. Who were the ad wizards that thought of, of starting the boring stack? <laughs> the boring why? That uh, if you don't want to have any fun with your family, go buy these things. And then you can give us a rating and a review. We'd really appreciate that. And it's how we make money. Right, guys? The money's got to come in soon, right? Um, according to our creditors, yes. Yes. Otherwise, they're going to repo our microphones. Yeah. Oh, my God. The lights. The lights are. Oh, well, they're, they're still on. Okay. So then that would do us a solid. We appreciate it. And if you could also get in the dialogue with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And do us a favor of suggesting future episodes for this podcast. We really want to talk about the things that you think are interesting. So go ahead and suggest a topic. Past suggestors have been past guests on our podcast. You don't have to, but you certainly could if you wanted to, or and we thought it would be a good idea too. And there's other things you can do. I can't think of them though. Hug your loved ones. You know, uh, Post about us on, on uh, social media. Let us know. Let people know that you like us. Yes. Give us a review. Anything else that we need. Oh, it's a Halloween time, so uh, give us candy. Show us a picture of you getting dressed inside your costume. But just you getting dressed inside. Yeah. Yeah. So show us a photo. Of, send us a photo of you in the bathroom putting on your college costume. <laughs> Can't imagine where this is going to go wrong <laughs> yeah. at all. No, this should be deleted. Michael, I remembered what our uh, first uh, Tatarian had desperately uh, changed topics. Yeah. No, please Our do. first Halloween episode was with our buddy Ryan Love. It was the uh, Halloween songs. Or it was, uh, was it Spooky Songs or something like that? Oh, yeah. That was one of them we did. Yeah, for sure. That was our first Halloween one, I'm pretty sure. No, because he would have come in a few seasons in because we recorded. Oh, I don't no. know. Then I don't know what the hell it I'm wasn't talking m- about. But that was one of, but that for sure was one of them. You know, I have season one. Let's figure let's this see. out because you you did tease. I did tease. That I was going to look it up, but then I didn't. So let's see. Do, do, do. Oh, is Matt Rush of teas? Of teeth? Tease. Oh, I thought you said of teeth. Darjeeling, uh, am I right, people? Pop culture, pop culture devils slash satans. Oh, there. Oh, we go. okay. There you go. Well, that's fun. So we done, should do that we, one sometime. Yeah, we've we've done probably. devils and satans. We've done Halloween music. We've done comedic Draculas, uh, comedic Draculas, Jeff Hopkins joint, and now death. <laughs> we did the stupid. St- so go back and you know what? Just listen to all the the past episodes of the Halloween episodes. Don't you know what? Do us a favor. Just do that. Don't do listen that. to. Don't d- download. Yeah. We just spent four and a half minutes telling you to download, rate, and review. Uh-huh. Uh, just just do the Halloween episodes. This there week. was an episode That'd that cool. was mostly about candy corn, but that wasn't a Halloween. That episode. was just shitty candy. Shitty candies. Okay. Well, you can listen to that one too. Yeah. I'll, I'll make an exception for this week if we'll, you want to listen to that one. We'll make a playlist on Spotify. I wonder if we can even do that. I think we can Spotify a playlist a, of us. Of us. I don't know. Nobody wants that. Okay, uh, we're back for the second <laughs> half. Uh, Off the rails. <laughs> and this would be Richard's third. All right, so I am going to. I'm pulling an audible here because my, my next choice was going to be you know a what? really. I like that. I like that he made a halftime adjustment. Yeah. That he saw the competition. He saw what I was doing. Oh. And um, Bring in a uh, new something picture. that we should look forward to in, in the new year. I think okay. that's something that we should think about is treating this like a... I, I talked to the coaches yep. in the break. They saw some things up in the booth. Okay. So we decided to uh, institute a new game plan. This Send is, this is Richard in front of a chalkboard. A, oh, yeah. Just yelling at the rest of... <laughs> at himself, really. <laughs> Punching a chalkboard for no good reason. Um, Spinning around and hits him in the face. <laughs> Hilarious. Comedy. Because <laughs> um, my next choice was going to be a very dark um, choice, and I don't think anybody needs that. Oh, We're, okay. Who wants to get dark when we're talking about death? No. Get the hell out of here. Um, so instead, I'm going to go with uh, Death from Bill and Ted's Bogus. Lovely. Theory. Perfect. Um, Coming back for the next movie. Uh, I hope so. Best. Well, he is, he is their best friend now. Um, so this is... This was obviously a play on the specter of death, the representation from Bergman's The Seventh yeah. Seal, um, where Bill and Ted are killed, and they are greeted by death. And first off, they first they get away from him by giving him a wedgie, yeah, which is great because that implies he has underwear, which is great. Um, 
then they go, then they're caught by death again. And death gives them the opportunity to win their souls back. If he's able, if they're able to defeat him in any game of their choosing, but he's never lost. And if I'm sure everyone knows the, uh, everyone has seen the seventh seal, right? Oh yeah. You guys, I, I didn't include the seventh seal in one of my choices as one of my choices. Cause I didn't want to have to lie about the fact that I'd watched the movie and act like that I had. Regardless, chess is the worst thing to watch in a movie. Yeah, so basically, uh, Death plays against um, Max von Sydow's character a game of uh, chess for his life. Yeah. Um, So this is a play off of that, but of course, being Bill and Ted, instead of playing chess, he winds up playing like Battleship Mm -hmm. and Twister. Um, All these, the modern, boring-ass section of Target games. Yeah. One of the best line readings in history is, you sunk my bat, like yeah. in his uh, quasi-Eastern European accent that is unplaceable. Yeah. yeah, William Sadler doing some sort of vaguely, like you said. Swedish. I, or I will say Swedish. it is Czech because William Sadler, I just heard him interviewed on Molten on Movies and couldn't wait for him to talk about doing this film. And he said he was in a play with the guy who was Czech. Huh. And he said... Everything this guy said sounded incorrect and hilarious. <laughs> and so he just used that accent. He also said he was up against a rogues gallery of older character actors for this role and had auditioned. And then they told him, you got to tape it again, but you got to put on all this old age makeup and put that on because we don't believe that you're old. And so he did. Um, he had a, a special friend who was a special effects age makeup guy do him up to make him look a bit older. So, yeah. but yeah, he said he had a blast on it. So, why did you like it? Sorry, I, 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 I just love the inversion. I just, I mean, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is a stupid. That's another good dumb movie. Yeah. Even though Bill and Ted's, I think, is just a fun movie. Is the second Bill, one's good dumb. Is Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey a better movie than Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? I don't think so. But I think it's pretty good. It does have Station, the weird yeah. ass uh, alien monster yeah. in it. Yeah. That's the smartest creature in the universe. Right. And so, not to give too much of the plot away, but once when, when death is defeated, he winds up working as a servant, basically, for Bill uh-huh. and Ted as they attempt to save the, save the universe again. They're very charming people. You can see why... Um, you know, the people throughout history kind of flock to them. Mm-hmm. Right. And even death. Yeah, even death can't... He's got a soft spot for them. Because they're such... Lovable idiots. Yeah. You know? This one says that uh, Bill Sadler also played a bit role as an Englishman when we see a various spots around the world when the Battle of Bands is shown. So really? Sadler comes back. So death is in more than one place. Interesting. In this. Interesting. And just such a friendly kind of personification of death in this one. Right. And yeah. I, I, in a lot of times with these... That's something that you see, I think, with, with death when it's personified as the Grim Reaper. When you get into these comedies, it's often he's often shown as to be somebody who is not really doesn't really love the idea of death, but it's just his job. Yeah. This is what he does. Yeah. And you see that, I think, often in comedies, and I think this is kind of plays into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Sadler said that there's a scene, I think they're in the Home Depot or something, shopping, and a guy walks by smoking a cigarette. He says... See you real soon. <laughs> and that, that is his improv. Oh, really? Yeah, he said, wouldn't it be funny? I don't know. If you have some extra film, we could do this bit. And it's one of the nicer little notes of the whole thing. Oh, that's so. great. Hilarious. Hilarious. Winfield. Uh, I am reading a book called Mythos, which is all about Greek mythology. And it's written by the uber-delightful Stephen Fry. Oh, wonderful. It is, it is entirely in his tone of voice. Yes. He's, he goes back and kind of retells just very classic Greek, mytho- Greek mythology stories or goes through kind of the pantheon of all the gods and demigods and whatever, but it just reads like Stephen Fry. Stephen it Fry, reads yeah. like something out of Jeeves and Wooster. Not mm-hmm. Jeeves and Wooster, but Fry and Laurie. And he's just delightful. And uh, I came across just a passage in it just the other night uh, talking about um, Sisyphus. And Sisyphus is known as the king who uh, no one knows what he did to be the guy that in the underworld in his afterlife that's pushing the rolling the rock yeah. up the hill, unable to ever mm-hmm. get it to the top. Yeah. Uh, the story goes that um, after he was killed, Zeus, who was mad at him, um, says, well, OK, I'll um, you can come join the pantheon of gods. You can come and live in 
immortality with us and be a king with us, all you got to do is roll this rock up this hill. Oh. And he thinks that he's so smart. He's like, or he's like, or you can just kind of pass on to the afterlife and you'll be, you know, fine. Uh-huh. Live with like, you know, the the general mass. And he's like, fuck that. I am pushing this rock up the hill. It's not that big. I can push it up the hill. So he starts to push it up and he gets almost to the top and it rolls all the way back down. And he's been doing this forever. Yeah. But the story of Sisyphus before he gets to his final punishment is one of hubris and one where he literally tricks death. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did something to displease Zeus. He told some people where like a river was and Zeus was like, you don't get to do that. And uh, so, De- uh, so Zeus is like, okay, Thanatos, which is the name of like the grim reaper death. He's the person that comes to claim your soul. He's yeah. the, he's the skull face creature mm-hmm. with the, the scythe. He comes up to get Sisyphus and um, Sisyphus is kind of like, Hey, hey, what's up? Uh, those uh, manacles that you you bind people with to take them to the world are they really unbreakable? And Talentos is like, yes, yes, you know, of course, no one can. He's like, what about what about you? Can you uh, can you get out of them? So he tricks death into locking uh. himself <laughs> up in uh, these chains, mm-hmm. and then um, uh, he escapes. Sisyphus is like, I'm out of here. See you later. And uh, Ares, the god of war, realizes that no people are dying in uh. his battles. And Hades under, un, in the underworld is like, no souls are coming down here. Mm-hmm. So death has been locked up. No yeah. souls. And so uh, Zeus has to come and basically take the manacles off of Thanatos. <laughs> he's not so much mad. He's just disappointed. Yeah, I'm just disappointed. Yeah, just really Your disappointed. Choices. But one, reading... Greek mythology stuff, all of these characters are also human. They're gods, but they're all just like petty yeah. and, you know, lustful. Mm-hmm. But I love the idea that death is someone that can be tricked, is this persona that is just a dope. Yeah. Almost kind of like the um, one... Well, bogus Journey, yeah. Bogus Journey, where he's just like, oh, uh, <laughs> he lost to Twister and lost to Battleship yeah. and lost to Connect Four or whatever. Yeah. I love the idea that that death is just this guy. It's just his job. His yeah. job is to do this thing. And there are people that are just smarter and con artists in general are very good at just yeah. getting out of death's uh, grasp. He is a servant of probably some very, very intelligent, powerful people, but he's, he yeah. just does this gig. He's punching his clock. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like the wolf and the, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the sheep dog and uh, yeah. the Warner brothers yeah. cartoon yeah. punching in and punching out. But, um, Go check out this book. It is delightful. I got to I gotta do it. Does Stephen Fry always think of him as Oscar Wilde? He feels like he's, oh, he yeah. is that guy. Yeah. Uh, Fred Manny, what's your last one? All right. So when celebrity death, deaths happen, it affects us all in different oh. ways. Yes, because we are responsible for them. Mainly, most yeah. of the time. Yeah. Um, I think it's especially hard whenever it's a sudden death, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a violent death. And I think we can all, all of us of our generation can remember exactly where we were when we learned about the assassination of Buckwheat. That's right. That's right. On SNL. Yes. yes. Yeah, on live television. Yes. Um, one of, this was a, I remember watching, I watched SNL when I was a kid. And, you know, I was probably like six or seven at the time. And I remember this actually scaring the hell out of me a little bit. Like it was oh, funny. But it had the reality. But the, yeah. And I went back and I rewatched, it's actually a two-part skit that kind of played out over yeah. the course of two weeks and there are some very funny punchlines in it but it mainly plays out like very the actual assassination stuff plays out very straightforward yeah um the backstory behind it is that eddie murphy had been playing the buckwheat character and it had been this breakout huge hit character for him um the problem being that everybody kept coming up to him on the street wanting him to do buckwheat Mm-hmm. Be Buckwheat, do Buckwheat, do sing a song. And he got, when he goes up to Dick Ebersol, who was the executive producer at the time, and says, I'm sick of Buckwheat. I don't want to do him anymore. I want to kill him off. So Ebersol sends him off to the two writers that he, that Eddie Murphy usually worked with and said, well, work with, with uh, Barry Blaustein and David Sheffield. Work with them and figure something out. So they write down this two-part thing. And the first part is literally almost like the Reagan assassination attempt. Mm-hmm. Um 
but the punch has got uh, Joe Piscopo as Ted Koppel. And the running punchline is that they keep showing the assassination yeah. attempt over and over and over again in instant replay, slow-mo replay, you know, every every version of how we can... Because mm-hmm. they have nothing else left to talk about. Yeah. Um, that that part of it was very funny. The whole idea that every time they would... Every time some different part of the news would break, it would be sponsored by Texon. <laughs> because life, ha- life, life, life goes on. And Texon is there. Like, it keeps popping up uh-huh. like every 20 seconds. They interview Alfalfa in the emergency room. It's Mary Gross with, like, the hair sticking <laughs> up. I'm very confused. <laughs> um, actually, I think it was insinuated that Alfalfa was the one that killed him, right? No. Oh. oh. No? No. Hmm. They go into the operating room so they can... Sh- as Buckwheat's being operated on so they can show the uh, doctor the footage of the assassination attempt. <laughs> then after Buckwheat dies, next week, they come back and they... It's all about the profile of the killer, mm-hmm. John David Stutz, because they always have three names. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's Eddie Murphy, kind of the, like no eyebrows and kind of this hollow look on his face. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea is they have like a psychologist talking about, well, people who kill, they kill because they want notoriety. They have this idea that, you know, if they kill someone famous, they'll become famous. And unfortunately, some irrational news people will will trade on this. Yeah, and which immediately goes to Ted Koppel throwing to like a five minute long puff piece on the life of John David Stutz. Yeah. Yeah. Where everyone in his town of hometown of Lima, Ohio says the same thing about him. He was a loner, nice kid, hard worker. Then they ask him if he killed buckwheat. They think he killed buckwheat. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. That's all. <laughs> that's all he ever talked about. <laughs> like he was, uh, that was his, uh, he was voted most likely to kill buckwheat. Um, and I just remember as a kid, like I'd be in seven or so. This was the time when there was like the Reagan assassination attempt, and yeah. Stott had been assassinated, and there was this this rash of kind of like assassinations that had been or attempts that had been taking place. And even though, for some whatever reason, in my head it just it was it was the way it was presented because they show Buckwheat walking out and of Thirty Rock, and you hear some go, "Mr. Wheat," pop pop pop, <laughs> and he kind of gets this stunned look on his face, and he's shoved into the the limo um it was a little frightening yeah um and actually it turns out um they'd actually shot a version that had uh, uh squibs squibs mm-hmm. and they wound up shooting a second version without the squibs just just in case and that's the one they used because they said the one with squibs it just made it too realistic wow so i it's it's a it, it is a really if you go back and watch it on youtube daily motion wherever it exists it's a it's interesting because, yes, there was a way to kill off this beloved character, mm-hmm. but it really is this great uh, critique of sort of news media yeah, and how they go about covering something like this when they have nothing to talk about for hours on end. Mm-hmm. So all they can do is reshow this footage mm-hmm. and how, you know, the the people who do commit the assassinations often become just as famous as the people they assassinate. Yeah. That as a child, I remember seeing that, and it was too close to the Reagan stuff to yeah. not be scary. It was it it was too well done. Yeah, almost. Yeah, it does feel like if a president. This is not to get. I think what I took from that buckwheat thing was uh, the same thing you took from the presidential thing. If if somebody can hurt the president, can't they hurt me? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they exactly. hurt my mom and dad. Too. Exactly. That does seem like SNL trying to reclaim its edge in a time when it was. Uh, the the not ready for primetime players and the rebellion that they represented that was a carryover from the 60s had faded so right. much and they were part of the establishment now. Yeah, and they were definitely, I know reading the Life from New York book, that it was a time where Ebersol didn't really want to talk about a lot of political stuff. So this was kind of a way to shoehorn this kind of so- uh-huh. social criticism at least into the show. Yeah. Um, at a time where it was really more about like, you know, the... The Weiner family. Mm-hmm. That was like yeah, Doug and Wendy stuff Weiner. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Winfield. Uh, my kill last it, kill it. Oh. oh, I see what you did there. Very kill nice. it. <laughs> I love the Dracula voice. Dracula. <laughs> Can you imagine if there was just an entire country where everyone sounded exactly like Dracula? <laughs> it's called Transylvania. <laughs> no, but like for for real, <laughs> for real, for real, for uh, real. My last choice is. Um, 
death from the uh, Sandman comics from the uh, late eighties, early nineties, but not actually death, but a character that um, I, I guess I'm on a streak. Like last week, I, all of mine were kind of connected. This is another person that kind of um, evades death. So death in the Sandman comic series uh, is one of seven siblings who are uh, anthropomorphic embodiments of a certain state of mind. Oh, okay. Uh, there's, they all begin with the destiny and dream, which is who the really the comic is about. Uh, destruction, desire, despair, and delirium, and the cute and D's nuts and D's nuts, and the exceptionally cute version of death, who is just like a cute late eighties early manic pixie manic dream pixie girl. dream girl. Yeah. Just death, you know, with yeah. the onk and the dyed black hair and the pearl white skin. She wears like a cute black tank top and she's just super positive even though she's death. Yeah. Well, at some point in the storyline, um, Dream and Death are in England in the 1300s, 1389. And they meet someone who declares, his name is uh, Hob Gadling, and they meet someone who declares that Death is just something that everything everybody goes along with. Nobody actually has to die. And so as the endless, as oh. they're called, they make a kind of a deal between dream and death. They mm-hmm. say, okay, well, let's, if he ever wants to die, he can die, but he won't die until then. And so he makes, so dream makes a deal with this guy yeah, to meet every hundred years at the same bar. And every hundred years he comes back and he's still not died. Mm-hmm. And after the first hundred years, he's like, I've been very successful. My life has been great. I'm starting to get into printing comes back a hundred years later and he's a little more downtrodden. and he's seen his wife and child come and go and he's kind of moved on another hundred years go by. And, uh, he's been like a mercenary and the, People have tried to kill him. He's been in wars all these times, but he survived, but he still doesn't want to die. Another hundred years go by, and he's like involved in like the slave trade, Yeah, and he's made a ton of money being a, a slaver, and Dream kind of says, well, that's really awful to imprison people in that mm-hmm. way. And another hundred years go by, and yada, yada, yada. And ultimately, it's, it's a story about this friendship of this guy has with Dream. But... Um, Ultimately, it is this embodiment of these of people's desires to never die, which is something that we haven't really talked about yet, where death is this thing that we all know is coming for us, and we all have at least have fancied the thought, what happens if I, if I could just live forever? Yeah. And it just goes to show that life is, will be awful at some yeah. point for everyone, no matter your station in life. Um, you know, all these billionaires that are out there trying to cut off their heads and freeze them cryogenically mm-hmm. into have them come back later for what yeah. technology so they can exist in the future. This guy in this story is a person that has actually learned from his mm-hmm. forever life. And I just find it interesting, the idea of escaping death to live forever and then learning lessons from it, which I think is what ultimately it's all about or just life in general. Yeah. That's is fascinating. I think that's, um, I don't know. I guess I think of the Anne Rice series of the thing where you see these vampires who are beautiful, but their their life is so long that they experience so much sorrow and so yeah. much. Yeah. Or like you know, and God, that's an interesting point too. Like when you're, um, depending on when you've been killed, yeah. You think of uh, interview the vampire and that little girl that lives forever, mm-hmm. and she was made vampire at the age of nine. Yeah. And she's just like, I'm. 300 years old now and mm-hmm. I'm still stuck in this body I don't know to live forever is like this weird thing to evade death and then it yeah it can't, can't all be great yeah diseases would ravage your body yeah at some point even though if it didn't kill you it might incapacitate you and who knows mm-hmm. uh, a good friend of mine has uh, a screenplay premise that is so novel but it essentially um, is kind of a zombie apocalypse story He's a screenplay that he's written, um, and it's the world we live in, but the death has been um, eliminated somehow, and we're trying to find a way to get 
death to actually happen. So people are just walking around this decayed state where they're mm-hmm. just miserable. <laughs> right. And you might be maimed or your brain might not be functioning, but you still can't die. And it just shows the uh, horrible side effects of, of the human, fallible human body that's decaying and can be, uh, uh, can deteriorate, but is not dead. So that's kind of gross. Um, is that it? That is it. That is it. We did it. I I uh, want to uh, choose something. Hopkins, Jeff Woo. Jeff is going to choose something. Oh. It was inspired by your SNL uh, choice, and that is maybe the first personification of death that I ever saw as a kid, and it was from a Saturday Night Live. Uh, sh- um, I was ten years old. This was uh, March of 1978. Christopher Lee, okay, plays Mister Death, and okay. he he visits uh, Jane Curtin. Uh, sorry, it visits Jane Curtin and her daughter, more specifically Lorraine Newman, and apologizes because he had to take her dog. Uh, Mr. Death Tippy was on his list. <laughs> um, but it's such a sweet, sweet sketch where you see this uh, death is either portrayed by a skeleton or sometimes, in his case, he was, he was not a youngish man even back then in 78, but Christopher Lee, I'm sorry, yeah Christopher, yeah, Christopher Lee. Lee. Christopher Lee plays this character as a very empathetic person who doesn't necessarily like this job that he does, but it is his it is his task. So um, I'm going to choose that. That's in the Borglum bag to come okay. out, and Jeff has uh, given a rebirth to the bag. Um, then I would like to choose um, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey because I love Bill Sadler's role in that, and that was the second time. Bill Sadler played Death. He played Death in a Tales from the Crypt thing called The Man Who Was Death. Good good Audible yeah. there, Richard. Yeah, Mr. Audible. Um, and Heaven Could Wait. I uh, get warm fuzzies when I think about that. Um, and the the uh, Thanatos and the story behind that is something that I want to go investigate. Thanatos and sounds like some sort of like uh, medicine. It would have yeah, a long list of side a effects. A long list of side <laughs> effects or something. Uh, yeah, number, number one list, Death. <laughs> Number two, pushing a rock up a hill pushing for a rock eternity. Up a Is that all? That's yeah. all, right? That's four. That's four. Guys, be careful out there. Going out trick or treating. Oh yeah. Going yeah. out that bar. What do you What are you dressing up as tonight, Jeff? Uh, I am <laughs> Count Dracula. <laughs> He's he sprays generic. Dr- he sprays Dracar on somebody <laughs> on the cologne. Nice. <laughs> well, what are you going to dress up as? Uh, I am a uh, kangaroo. Kangaroo. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you got? With I'm a ghost. I'm a ghost. Okay. This has been the Mount Rushmore of death. Uh, I as always have been Jeff. I was Richard. I'm Michael. Oh, I'll live forever. <laughs> <laughs> we did it, guys.